Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. How many people here, honestly, you'd say, sometimes life just seems to stack up on top of me. There's a lot of things on my plate. A lot of those things are people. People problems, people are things. Sometimes they get in our way, and sometimes those things overwhelm us. They get on top of us. We feel like they're crushing us sometimes. It's like the tax man and, and relationship things, and everything kind of happens at once, and we try to you know get all our ducks in a row and conquer these little mountains all, all at once, but then it becomes a big mountain, and sometimes uh, those things get on the inside of us. They're meant to take the wind out of your sails and, and, and to crush you, things in life sometimes mount up like that. So it's very important to have a plan. It's very important not just to think that you can avoid these things because what you avoid and what you don't confront, you empower it. And so it's important to confront these things and to conquer them and to believe God, of course, to take them down. Now, this morning is number three in our series, and, and I've called this morning's message Getting on top of failure. Getting on top of failure. And I want to redefine failure a little bit here this morning because my, my view on failure has changed over the years. I used to think that failure was uh, uh, not real. And I'd heard that preached before that, you know, it's not real. It doesn't exist. Uh, there's no such thing as failure. I, I believe there is a, a such thing as failure, and, and uh, I believe that uh, skirting around that and, you know, denying it or, or thinking that it's going to go away by saying that it doesn't exist, uh, that, that's not really a good plan of attack when it comes to uh, something like failure. And the word failure uh, comes, from, it's a French word, actually, and, and what it means is it's, it's from the word failure, I don't speak French, parlez-vous, uh, F-A-I-L-L-I-R, and it means to be lacking or not to succeed. So you could fail an exam, and if you fail an exam, it's not make-believe, is it? If you're a student here, you really do. You failed the exam. You're going to get a real grade and perhaps not pass your subject. You can fail. Uh, your health can fail. A lot of times, you know, we, we've experienced that with health failures, and it's not make-believe. Uh, marriages can fail. And, and, and fail just means to be lacking or not to succeed. But I believe that the ultimate failure really in life is to fail to fulfill your potential. Whatever God placed on the inside of you, and it's different for all of us, so therefore uh, we would each have a different definition of what it would take to fail, but God has placed on the inside of you something called potential that needs to be released. There's potential energy and there's kinetic energy if you studied science. And, and potential energy, if it's not released, it's, it's bottled up on the inside of you. But, you know, it's like a wine or a champagne or something. That Unless the, the bottle, unless the cork comes off the bottle and it gets poured out, nobody's going to experience it. And that's the way it is with potential. Potential in itself, if it's not released, well, it's nothing. You've achieved nothing. All the potential in the world, if it's not released and it's not activated and you don't achieve it, well, I would dare say that, yes, you are a failure, and uh, ultimately, uh, nobody would want that to happen. So failure is only real uh, if, it's, uh, if it's not uh, achieved through your potential, and so it becomes final. 
And I believe that ultimately failure is not doing what God has called you to do on your way to becoming who, is, who God has called you to become. So I want to go with us over to, uh, I want you to go with me over to Judges in uh, chapter 3. We've been in Judges last week, and we looked at uh, a, a judge. In the Bible, there were military leaders to deliver Israel during times of crisis before Israel became a monarchy, and they were called judges. They're not judges that sit in a courtroom of law like we think of a judge today, but they had to judge. And, and what they actually judged was, is this right? Is this acceptable for our nation, for our people, for God's chosen people to be where they're at? And they would judge uh, sin in the camp, and they would judge whether the nation was moving forward or, or whether they were the conquerors or being conquered. And so these judges were military leaders, and they were both male and female. And you can read further in Judges, and you can find out uh, about, about a lady named Deborah and uh, J.L., her uh, counterpart who, uh, you know, defeated Sisera, the, uh, the general. And, and, and all these, these judges are, are very powerful people. They are deliverers. And in verse 12 of chapter 3, you can read with me, it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over them. He gave them power over Israel. You see, when you're in sin, sin saps your power. Sin saps your strength right out of you. You become a pushover, and you're easy for the enemy to conquer. Sin in itself is not ultimate failure, but it is a failure. It's a failure to follow God or to believe God. Uh, the definition that the Bible gives uh, of sin is anything that's not of faith. So sin isn't just, you know, the big five or whatever, adultery, murder, and stealing, and, and those kinds of things. It's not the big ten. It's not just the ten commandments. But if God tells you to do something according to the potential, the gifts that God's placed on the inside of you, and you don't do it, because of unbelief or disobedience, you are in sin. And that sin then will take the strength away from you. You can't have strength uh, except in yourself. And even in yourself, you know that you are a sinner because you are sinning because you're not doing what God told you to do. You're not fulfilling what God's placed on the inside of you. You're burying your gift, in other words. And God's not happy with that. It's one time where God uh, calls that, uh, that servant that buried their gift. He doesn't just say, you're lazy. <laughs> well, you know doesn't much matter that you didn't fulfill your potential. I mean, who cares? You know, there's plenty of other people to pick it up and do it. No, no. He says wicked and lazy. There's a big difference there. Uh, I, I remember uh, trying to explain the Christian faith to some, uh, some Muslim friends of mine. And, and so I, I, I uh, drew an analogy, and I believe God inspired this, of, of a, a lifeguard in a tower at the beach at Malulaba there. And they I said, have you seen such a person? Yes, of course. And, and I said, what would you call that person called the lifeguard that would not get down out of their tower, jump on that jet ski? They got all the power. They got all the training. But they, the person's drowning out there, and they don't do anything about it. What would, what would they write about them in the newspaper the next day? Would they just say, well, lazy lifeguard doesn't get off their high tower 
and save the person. They could have saved them. What would, what would you say to the grieving family, you know, if that was their son or daughter out there that drowned, and, and you're just looking out there, go, oh, my, that's terrible, isn't it? Uh, and you got all the power to do something, but you don't do it. You wouldn't just be lazy. You'd be wicked because you could have done something about it. And so there's an urgency uh, when it comes to overcoming failure. There's an urgency not to get caught up in, in sin as in not fulfilling what God's called you to do through faith. And, 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 and so it's really, really clear, though, that God's chosen people <laughs> fail again and again. And here we find uh, one of the times, again, it says they did evil in the eyes of God. They did evil in the sight of God. And so God gave Eglon uh, power over them. There's something about the word again. Again, if you're from Canada, or again, if you're from America, or if you're an Aussie. I don't know. What do, you, what do we say here? I, I get confused. Again or again? Again. Okay, it's again. All right. There's something about that word. And, and sometimes it's like, ah, oh, I can't believe I, I can't believe I did that again. Like, how stupid could I be? You ever been there? Have you ever done something that's just so stupid? You knew better, but you kind of just didn't think or whatever, whatever, and you, and you did it again. Like, for me, it's driving down the Nicklin Way, and they've got a speed camera, and it's just, you know, as you're approaching towards Caloundra, toward that 7-Eleven, and it's right uh, past TRICARE, uh, uh, retirement village, whatever they call that, uh, old age care home, and, you know, it's on that side there, and, and, and sometimes, you know, you want to drift a little bit beyond 70, because it's like, come on, really? This is a straight, there's no traffic, just, you know, good old me, and I could easily do 100 here, uh, but, you know, then you get that, that letter in the mail, I talked about that last week, and it's like, believe I did that again. And, and my wife always reminds me, it's 70, there's a camera. There's a camera coming up. I said, I know, I've got the cruise control on. But she knows that that happens again and again and again and again. And yet again is one of the most powerful words, I believe, in the English language, especially it has to be one of the most powerful words when you failed. Because it's not just the negative, I stuffed up, I, I screwed up again, I'm so stupid again, 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 I can't believe that I failed that, I'm so dumb, uh, will I ever learn? Uh, it's also a word that, that, that gives us hope. And it says, again, uh, Israel did, they, they sinned, but then again, God gave them a, a deliverer. And so, uh, you know, that word again, <laughs> it strikes fear into you if you're an athlete and you lose a game. When we were in high school, uh, I, I played uh, American football, the only foot, real football. We hardly ever use your foot. They should call it handball or something else, that, you know. But anyway, played that. We had a lousy team. Uh, and I was part of that lousy team. <laughs> and, in, in, you know, in the juniors thing when I was like 12 years old, uh, we never won a game. We were, <laughs> we were the team that didn't win one single game the whole season. And I remember we had uh, an Italian coach, and um, he used to say, I don't know, Italian, Andianimo or something like that, you know, like, come on, you know. And, and we'd rally, and we'd, you know, we'd get all psyched up, and then we'd go out, and we'd lose again. And then in high school, 
we did win against some of the really bad teams, but we, we would lose. And, and did we pay for it in practice? In practice, we used to have to do what they call wind sprints, which just be running up and down the field. He'd blow that stinking whistle and, and say, again, again. And you'd, you'd be like, <laughs> you know, and some guys are you know, almost passing out and, and, and vomiting and everything else. It's like, this is ridiculous. You've got your helmet on because it's practice. You're not hitting anybody, but you just got to wear that dumb helmet and get even hotter and hotter and everything else. And, and then you blow that whistle again. Again, you think, how many times is he going to do this before we all die? And so, again, would strike fear into every losing person on the team because uh, he wanted us to remember so that when we would go out there, we'd think, you know what? If we lose, we're going to have to listen to that dumb whistle of him yelling again, and it's going to be hell if we lose. Let's not lose. Let's really give it a 100%. And if we won the game, of course, we didn't hear that. It was, it was really, really good. And, and so losing uh, uh, can become, uh, again, because I stuffed up again, or, or losing can give you the impetus to pick it up and, and win and do it again. Verse 13, getting the Amorites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon, the wicked king, he came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. Now, the city of Palms, Jerusalem, uh, literally means peace, the city of peace. The devil's out to get your peace. Anybody know about that? You know, things getting on top of you and situations and people, it's all about robbing you uh, of your peace. And then verse 14, and the Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. That's a long time. The last time they failed just before that with Othniel, he was the judge that delivered them. It was only like 18 years or something uh, that they suffered. Now they're suffering for 18 years. That's a long time. Some of you aren't even 18 years old. Uh, some of you, it's half of your lifetime, and, and, and people like me, it's a mere pittance. It's probably not even 1% of my lifetime, only joking. Uh, but, but 18 years is a long time. And, and, and again, I love it, there it is again, verse 15, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. There is an old saying that, you know, if you don't first succeed, Try, try again. Sometimes it's not try, try again. It's cry, cry again. And it's not just weeping in your sorrow because you failed and the failures have piled up on top of you. But it's crying out to God. It's, it's crying out. So, there has to be a cry that comes out from the inside of you that says, this is not acceptable, God. You have not created me to fail like this. You have not created me to, to not have any peace. You have not created me to be subject to an evil king. You have not created me to be the devil's doormat. You have created me to be a victor, not a victim. You have created me to be an overcomer. The Bible says a conqueror. You have created me in this way, and you are not a failure. Therefore, I should not be a, a failure. And, and you cry out to God who can empower you and, and reinflate your tire so that you can roll down the road better. And so it's not just if uh, you don't succeed, just get up in your own power and try, try again. 
It's get up and, and, and cry out to God and do something about it. So it says they gave them a deliverer, and this guy's name sounds a lot like Eglon, uh, the, the, the wicked guy. Uh, it's Ehud or Ehud. I don't know which way it goes. Uh, and, and he's a left-handed man, it says, the son of Gera the Benjamite. So he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And the Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, when you fail, oftentimes it's in front of people, especially if you're trying to really do something. I remember uh, taking a stand for Jesus Christ and uh, announcing to all of my friends that I'm now a Christian. I'm going to be going to church now, and uh, you guys can come with me. They didn't. Uh, and I'm reading my Bible now, and I'm not going to go out, you know, getting wasted every Friday night and everything else. And so I made that, that, that proclamation, and some time went on, and I had a failure. In other words, I went out and partied with my friends and, and, uh, and, and sinned. And I remember the embarrassment of that. It's like, oh, you know, once, once the, the night drifted off and the hangover the next morning, it was like, what did I do? Like, how stupid was I? Like, I just, I just did all that, you know, and blew my witness in front of everybody. And so I was embarrassed. And then what tends to happen with us is we switch into fault-finding mode. Ah, you know, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> blame shifting, making excuses. Uh, everybody wants to blame somebody else. Have you noticed that in our society today? More people than ever are blaming the government for everything in America, it's Trump, 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 Trump. Well, Trump, Trump doesn't control, you know, uh, if you leave the iron on and you're ironing board and you burn your shorts or something. Like, goodness me, you know, he's not God. He might think he is, but he's not God. He's not floating around there omnipresent. It's, it's, it's everybody wants to blame somebody. So I'm going to blame my parents if I had a bad upbringing. It's mom and dad. It's because of it's because of my old man that I've got this terrible habit. Uh, you know, if your marriage isn't working, well, it's her fault. This marriage would work if it wasn't for her or him. Have you ever noticed that with people that they don't really want to acknowledge their faults and learn to rise above them? I heard this. Uh, read this autobiography. It's an autobiography. It's called In Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. Listen to this. Chapter one. It's five short chapters. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the footpath. I fall in. I am lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the footpath. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the footpath. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. 
There is a deep hole in the footpath. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. Sometimes we need to walk down another street in our thinking. Sometimes we just need to acknowledge that it's not the government, it's not our parents, it's not the church, it's not whoever, whoever, whoever. It's us. You've got the problem. Acknowledge it. Part of getting on top of your failures is to acknowledge your faults. Acknowledge them. Don't beat yourself up over it and don't live with it forever, but get on top of it. And, and, and skirting around it is not going to work. Now, the name Ehud, the deliverer, the judge, means unity. And, and I love the fact about this guy because it says in verse 16, now Ehud had made a double-edged sword uh, about a cubit. Now, we don't talk cubits anymore, but that's, that's about 45 centimeters or uh, 18 inches long. That's that's a lot. That's a lot of sword. You're going to discover why it's a lot of sword in a, in a moment. Uh, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. Now, there's something about this Ehud that we learned before that he's a left-handed man. Most people during that day were right-handed. They fought with their right hands. If you were left-handed, that was considered to be uh, in a, a disadvantage. And, and, and he was left-handed, and he got this sword. He strapped it to his right thigh underneath his clothing. Now, he's got a plan now. To get out of failure, you, you really need to have a plan. And, and, and he presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Now, I think of Jabba the Hutt. Any Star Wars fans? Okay, the very first Star Wars, you know, Han Solo encounters this massive thing. And, and the reason uh, that I believe he was extraordinary fat, like, uh, is because when well, we're going to see in the story, I won't spoil it. Uh, listen to this. So he presented the tribute to the king of Moab, Eglon, who was a very fat man. And after Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, those were the stones, uh, the commentators say, that uh, Joshua uh, erected after they crossed over the, the Jordan, a stone for each of the tribes. He himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. Hmm. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. And then Ehud, verse 20, he approached him while he was still sitting alone on the upper room of the palace. Now, a disclaimer. Uh, this is about to get graphic. Really graphic. You know how they do before a movie or the news. Uh, so if you're sensitive or, or whatever, whatever, you know, please leave now uh, or close your ears if you're a child. Uh, and so he reached his left hand and drew the sword from his right thigh and he plunged it into the king's belly. Verse 22, I love this bit. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. 18-inch sword, and the fat closed in over it. That's Jabba the Hutt all the way down, isn't it? 
And uh, then he had went out to the porch, and he shut the doors uh, of the, of the uh, upper room behind him and locked them. And after he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. And they said, he must be relieving himself. He was <laughs> uh, in the inner room of the palace. And they waited for the point of embarrassment. But to the point where they were embarrassed. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. And there they saw their Lord fallen on the floor dead. And while they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images, again a reminder that God's in control, and escaped to Sarah. I love the fact here that Ehud, the judge, the deliverer, had a plan. A lot of us just attack life with no plan. So life comes at us with all of its fury, and life comes at us with no mercy. And because we're weak and we failed and we can't get up in our, and we try in our own strength, and we, the reason that we fail is because we're not dependent upon God. Let's face it. We're not spending that time in God's Word and, and getting strong in, in God. And so we have a failure. And then, you know, try, try. If you don't succeed, try, try. Get up, get up. You know, everything. Just keep getting back up. Keep getting back up. Well, you know, so we get back up again, but we don't have a plan to go out and succeed in anything. This guy had a plan, and with that plan, he had a message. He had a sword, which was a double-edged sword, which uh, I'm sure he find that thing, you know, to a razor blade, because when it went in, it was pretty easy. It was like butter. Uh, and, 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 and he had a, a word from God. He had a message that he wanted to share with Eglon, and it was, uh, it was obviously a made-up message. I don't know what his words would have been when the door was shut as he shoved that, you know, pulled that sword out and shoved it in there. Uh, I don't know what he would have said, you know. Uh, Get to the chopper. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was something else. Pick your favorite movie. But, you know, uh, he said something to him. Wouldn't you love to know what it was? Take that. <laughs> Well, better than that, I'm sure. <laughs> but we gotta have a plan. What was that? It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. <laughs> it's not a tumor. Okay, that's pretty good. We'll have to have a contest on that. Uh, verse 27. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down. I love this bit. The Israelites, the cowards, the ones that were in sin that caused this whole thing, <laughs> went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. And so they followed him. They followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan and led, that led to Moab, and they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, and not one person escaped. And then verse 30, it says, that day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for eight years until, of course, they did it again. They sinned again. So I like the fact here that the word Ehud, that's the judge, the deliverer, his name means unity. And it goes to great lengths here to tell us that when he got the victory. It was him that, you know, did the ninja warrior thing, the SAS, the, you know, he, he, he 
obviously was a very courageous man with that plan. That would have taken incredible courage to pull off what he did. And that's why he was the judge over this thing. I'm going I'm to take care of this once and for all. I'm not going to suffer. This is an embarrassment to the whole group of us. And, and we sit back and do nothing. I don't think so. So he hatches this plan. He individually did this thing, really. It really wasn't anybody else involved. The rest of, of the heroes that got in on the celebrations and, and had the peace for another eight years after that, uh, the rest of them got, got to celebrate with him, but he doesn't knock it back. He doesn't go, now uh, I'm going to blow my own trumpet and we're going to have ticker tape parade for me. I did it. You had nothing to do with it. You are a bunch of cowards. And, and so my success is my success after all. I didn't fail. You are a bunch of stuff-ups and failures. There's something about our definition of success that often doesn't include anybody else but us. And when you think about failure, and this is just me, oftentimes I think about failure as an individual effort that failed. I'm not really thinking about everybody else. And if I could do this without everybody else, then whatever I'm doing really isn't that big. You know, make a bit of money, retire. Uh, I don't know if you're on a sporting team, maybe tennis. You know, you win, win your individual thing. But Christianity, if it was a sport, would be a team sport. I, I like the fact that one of our value statements is that we walk together even when it hurts. And sometimes it does hurt because the hurt that we're experiencing wasn't caused by us individually. When we fall, let me put it this way, when you fall, if you're part of the body of Christ, when somebody falls, we all fall. We're family. This isn't an individual thing. My definition of success has to be beyond me. Who, who do you think you are that you're that big that you can, can, can succeed by yourself. Who are you? The Great Commission is a great commission. It involves everybody doing their bit. And when one person fails or falls in, in, in a whole nation into sin, we that are stronger owe it to the body of Christ and the Lord that we say that we put first, but we really don't most of the time. Uh, we, we owe it to him to get up. It's his body. We cannot put up with it. We need to get up and get on with it and, and, and lift everybody up so that unity can come into the camp. When I see failure, I'm not just thinking about me and my individual race. It's not an individual medley either. It's a team sport. It's a relay, if you will, where we all have to hand the baton off and we all have to bear it for one another because if one fails, we all fail. If one succeeds, we all succeed. Are you getting that? His name means unity. It's all to all for one and one for all. It's failure has got to get out of, of the definition of just this individual thing. It's so small, church. So small. The way most of us think of success and failure and the boxes that we put it in and the goals that we set are so, so small and insignificant. And if we shoot for something that small, 
that we can actually control failure and success just by our own selves, on our own, by ourselves, without everybody else, then we truly, truly have missed the spirit of Christ, and we truly, truly have missed the great commission, And because it's the great commission, means common, do you get that? Common unity, community, it's all of us together. It's not an individual thing. And so I want to rewrite that this morning as we close. I'd like the worship team to come up. But uh, I want to really think about these things getting on top of us, failure getting on top of any one of us individually. The best thing and the wisest choice that you can make is to join yourself to a bunch of misfits. That's the church, really calling us misfits. Yep, every one of us. (laughs) Everybody. Come on. Seriously. There's nobody here that's going to take on the whole world and change it. So what do we do? We vote for governments and we criticize governments and we think that somehow a new prime minister or a new president is going to turn the tables on the whole. Well, if that's the case, then take the Bible and throw it away. It's not true. The Bible is true. And the plan of God is his people together, working together. And therefore, the definition of success has to rise up to all of us. And the definition of failure cannot just be one of us as if the whole thing is going to fall apart, but all of us getting around the one person, the one of us, and picking each other up even when it hurts and owning the family name even when it's not popular, even when the word church strikes failure into community, even even when it's embarrassing because we've embarrassed again in front of the world and one of ours has fallen. Instead of criticizing and gossiping about that person and talking trash about that person and kicking them while they're down, why not get get your hand out and say, but for the grace of God, there go I. I'm going to reach down. I'm going to grab a hold of that person because it could be me, and I'm going to depend. It's going to depend as if my life depends upon that, and I'm not going to go telling everybody about it and making jokes about it, but I'm going to reach down with the spirit of Ehud, unity, and I'm going to lift that person up, and I'm going to see them restored so that we can all go to a greater level. That, my friend, would be a great definition and success would be a great definition if it said all of us and not just any one of us. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.